Hello and welcome to the City Collective Podcast. This is the place where you can hear the latest sermons from our Sunday services and follow up conversations around teachings within our church. Today we'll be diving into the topic of the Sermon on the Mount. My name is Stephen Mossad. And my name is Samuel Ravensburger. So today we have with us the man, the myth, the legend, Pastor Jason Charles. <laughs> Welcome. What an intro. <laughs> um, so yeah, as we said in the intro, uh, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're listening to this and you've been with us for basically a year, um, you've probably noticed that we've been dipping in and out of this, uh, this passage of scripture. Matthew 5 through 7, and, and we're not finished, No, but we've been some places, so yeah. tell us where we've been, because you've preached most of those sermons yourself. Um, yeah, what are some of the spots that, that we've touched on so far? Yeah, I've loved our, our journey through Matthew, and I know that many in our, our church community have, have felt the same, uh, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon ever preached. Yeah. I love the line from Eugene Peterson. We talked about it last year, that the life of faith isn't meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. And in many ways, this journey through the gospel of Matthew is a pilgrimage to to hear and see all the ways that we're invited to to follow Jesus. And Mm. then we get to the Sermon on the Mount and we hear the words of Jesus really calling us, uh, calling us out, uh, calling us in. To a, to a new way, to a better way. It's this kingdom manifesto of what it is to actually be part of this new kingdom that Jesus is establishing here on earth and to participate in it and to see our lives transformed into a, a new image, a new way. Mm-hmm. We began in Matthew chapter five, looking at the Beatitudes, I believe last, last October, we were spending some time there. We heard from a couple different voices and it was just beautiful, the different things that we heard talked about. Yeah, I uh, actually loved uh, Rob Peterson's message and he focused on uh, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And I always interpreted that as um, like meek as in weakness. Mm. But then he reframed it as uh, to be gentle and humble of heart, which requires a deep, deep strength. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's, yeah, that was powerful for me. That was amazing. Yeah, and I would say I say Rob really represents that well. If you've ever oh. had a conversation with him, there is a, a meekness and a gentleness accompanied with strength yeah. in the way that he communicates and his words. So that was great to hear from him uh, around that. Obviously, the, the Beatitudes continue, and they have a, a variety of different of these pieces of the manifesto hmm. to, to live in opposition to the ways of the world, that the way that the world might think of the, the poor or the meek yeah. or the, the peacemakers of the world uh, is completely opposite in, in the way of Jesus. Mm. And it's hard. I think that's what I've noticed over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount is if you thought that some of the call of the Old Testament of living a certain way was, was maybe a high call, wait till Jesus starts talking in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> like yeah. He ups the ante on everything. And uh, I, I love that that's the invitation that's given to us as his followers. And then he says, well, you can't really do it on your own. You're going to need me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's why they killed him, because they thought that it was all on them. Yeah. They'd been working so hard for so long already. And then here he comes and makes it even worse. And yeah. They're just stressed how out. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so we continued out of the Beatitudes and we, uh, we jumped into verses 13 and onwards in chapter 5, talking about things like salt, light, and law. We talked about anger, and I know even just that anger conversation for a lot of different people was an interesting one. Mm. Because we all carry it to some degree. Yeah. And to, to see that we don't have to, first of all, yeah. uh, and that Jesus doesn't want that for us that the impact of anger upon ourselves and those around us is something that we can be free from. Even if we can just remember that yeah. in our day to day, like what joy we might find in that. Yeah. And I think it was enlightening. I know it was enlightening for me. I don't remember if you, how hard you hit on this, on, on the sermon that you preached on, on this passage, but um, just how clear Jesus makes it that anger needs to be completely removed. Mm -hmm. Like don't even, don't even present an offering. Don't, don't do anything, uh, like in, in your, uh, kind of religious observance, don't touch it until you have dealt with the anger in your life. Mm. That's how important it is. Yeah. That's how poisonous it is in your, I I notice in conversations, uh, how often when we're talking about anger that someone's like, Oh, what about righteous anger? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't want to lose all my anger. Come on, got to give me at least a little yeah, bit let here. Let me let me vent. <laughs> Jesus had righteous anger. He wouldn't flip some tables. Like yeah. like evangelical Christian Christianity loves that story. Yeah. Oh man, like look at the righteousness of Jesus's anger and the way that he he plays it out. And then we avoid a text like this that says, no, no, no. Actually, like all anger, keep mm. it to the side, and we we misinterpret. The, the manner in which Jesus is actually operating uh, yeah. in a space like the temple, the temple scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's flipping tables. It's, it's not anger. It, it is, uh, it, it's a reaction of justice, yeah. Of, yeah. of a desire to, to see wholeness brought to the people of Israel. And this is preventing that from happening. Yeah. Like everything with Jesus, it flows from love. That's right. And it's been simplified for me in that way. It's like, if I feel the need to defend my anger, uh, it's probably not true yeah. Christ-like anger. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I found it really interesting. I, I believe it was something that popped up in your message, which um, was when we are angry with people or with a person, we take their identity and value That's away. Right. Yeah. And it's like we yeah. Yeah. degrade what God had originally intended them yeah. to be. Yeah. I'm just like, man, I was just mad about something. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting this to be the outworking of that. And mm. it's just... Yeah, that, that hit home. That was, that was a big deal yeah. for me. Yeah, it's a biblical definition of cursing. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we went from anger to talking about lust and divorce, and that's, that's a really real topic for a yeah. lot of people. And to, to talk about it, and I remember having a couple of conversations afterwards with different individuals, and you're always kind of concerned pastorally for your congregation in a conversation like this because you don't want to give foothold to, to guilt and shame. Simultaneously, you want to yeah. call people to a, a way that is in rejection of how the world has normalized things like lust and divorce and made it that, oh, this is just okay, mm-hmm. that the way that holds our heart. But the response that I heard, and I think it's, it's not a response to the message, it's a response to the words of Jesus, is that people felt an immense amount of grace and almost healing to be able to dive into that. And so if, if that is something that you're listening to and you're, you're battling with, I would invite you, like read the Sermon on the Mount. Hear how Jesus is like inviting mm-hmm. us into a new way, but yeah. remember that it's Jesus that's talking. 
Yeah, and I would also encourage you guys to listen to the message again. You can find it online. I remember listening to that message and like, I've never been married and I, it still hit home for me. It was mm-hmm. just, there's so much truth to it and it's just a healthy way to even consider marriage and the yeah. way you approach it. And I remember having a lot of conversations with um, like even people in my community group and that yeah. sort of thing. And yeah. it's just, it was, um, yeah, it was just a really helpful sermon in like navigating people in our lives who are experiencing that and that yeah. sort of thing. So it was just really good. Um, and can I just say quickly, if you're listening to this, um, if you're able, I would, I would recommend that you have your Bible open while we're talking through the Sermon on the Mount. That's I think it'll thought. be very helpful. Yeah, that's a great yeah. thought. Um, so moving on from plus and divorce, oaths and retaliation, love your enemies, give to the needy, fundamental ways in which the kingdom of God is breaking into our world. Mm. And then it took us all the way through to this past September, uh, where we continued in Matthew chapter six, and we found ourselves in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I had a conversation with, uh, with a family the other night and we were celebrating just some of the different ways in which we had seen this vision for this year kind of come about for us to be a people that engage with the presence of God. And we were celebrating stories that people had shared, ways in which the presence of God had come more near than ever before. Mm. And they noted something really interesting. They're like, I'm not surprised. And they're like, it's not because of teaching or preaching or, or vision. He's, uh, he said, I remember before the summer that it felt like we were laying seed for this to take place. And I was like, oh man, I forgot all of our conversations about Holy Spirit. Yeah. About leaning into the presence yeah. of God. And, and to some degree, having Sundays, if we're talking candidly, where it's like, I didn't feel it. Yeah. Or I didn't see it, or like yeah, there wasn't yeah, like a yeah. response to it. And if, even for myself, going home, be like a little disappointed. Yeah, I thought we had it. I thought we we're got, getting on the right track. And now we're in this season of like a deep commitment to prayer, and God is showing up in the most incredible of ways. Yeah. Uh, to, to speak to that, to tell the story of that man, like what a what a gift we have right now. Yeah to be able to just reflect and remember. Yeah, I actually love the prayer series. And um, I know, like, again, chats with my community group and, like, just with people in the church mm-hmm. in general. And some of the things you hear these guys saying is just they're talking about how they've never had such intimacy with God in their life and mm-hmm. how their needs are being met in a deep, profound way through Jesus. Wow. And yeah. you're just like, man, this is unreal. Yeah. This is this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the coolest thing out. And the thing is I uh we're so quick to forget sometimes where we started from. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we remember like even like what you're saying is just we had these Holy Spirit nights and we're prompting and we're like we're calling on the Spirit to uh move in our church. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now that we're here, sometimes we forget. Yeah. And it's like, no, like <laughs> yeah. this is the Spirit's working. Yeah, this isn't right. just cool programs yep. or like good teaching. And all that, it, this is the spirit, which is awesome. Yeah, I know I often make the mistake when I think about the Holy Spirit moving, I think about it in very charismatic terms. Right, right. We need mm. signs and wonders, yeah. words and knowledge going yeah, left, yeah. right, and center, yes. prophecy from the pulpit. Like, it's going to be crazy and people are going to be rolling on the floor. But <laughs> if, if the spirit is moving according to 
God's will and God's desire, mm-hmm. it's going to move according to what we need. Yes. And we don't really need a culture of people rolling on the floor. That's not who we are. No. Maybe one day, that's fine. Signs and wonders is part of the Great. gift. Great. Yeah. We'd love to see it. Sure. But right now, what our body needs is to know him. Yes. It's yes. to know yeah. the touch of his presence, to know that he's with us, yeah. and to to be called deeper into a, a, an experience of, of that loving union yeah. that we have with uh, our beloved bridegroom, Jesus Christ. I had a conversation with someone and they said that they're in a season where the presence of God feels more near to them than ever before. Yeah. That to the point where it is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is what we've prayed for, yeah. mm. for hunger to rise up in our community. Yeah. For, for us as a church, for us people to, to really be leaning into that. So the gift has been uh, to be able to walk through that conversation over the past year, spend a little bit of time in September around this idea of prayer. And now we're going to finish it off uh, chapter seven, both this upcoming week and uh, weeks coming up uh, around uh, until beginning of December. So that's going to be conversations around worry, about judging, about the requests we make, and then some maybe more difficult ones around true and false discipleship. Mm. How do you be a a wise or a foolish builder? The narrow gate, big ideas for us Mm. to navigate. And so I think what we wanted to do over the course of this podcast was to provide some highlights like we've just done. But uh, there were some questions I believe that you guys wanted to engage with that were maybe a little more difficult. Yeah, I think uh, for myself, I, um, you know, reading on ahead and um, engaging with uh, Matthew 7, ask, seek, knock. So that's verses uh, 7 to 12. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know it's different from my personal experience, but um, as I ask, seek, and knock, so Jesus referring to different levels of um, intentionality with prayer and that sort of thing. But it's almost as though he... Um, he guarantees a response. And I know that hasn't always been my uh, felt experience or how my prayer life has uh, gone. And so I think I just want to simply ask the question, if Jesus is providing a universal certainty that our prayers will be answered, and then how do we address the unanswered prayers in our life? Yeah, I feel like, uh, I mean, we kind of touched on that in another podcast episode that we did uh, centered around prayer and and uh, I believe we asked that question pretty concentratedly about like what do we do with unanswered prayer when Mm -hmm. we have such clear guarantees ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find and um, yeah like I'm sure I said in that podcast episode and I'll say it again here I I have struggled with that, but of course there's always comfort in knowing that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and Mm -hmm. will be forevermore. Mm -hmm. And these guarantees are talking about when I am in perfect union, when I see fully who I am, who God is, my heart is clear, and I know completely that what I ask will be given, then what he says is true. (laughs) It's like... Obviously, when I come to God in prayer, that's not always going to be the case. Yeah. Um, that's where we're going. That's that's this process of of receiving salvation, of receiving who yeah. who we have uh, 
have our like this identity we've been given in Christ. We're becoming that. But um, in those moments of prayer where maybe we're actually coming from a place of fear or lack or mm-hmm. desperate mm-hmm. need, mm-hmm. we're not believing completely that God's going to give us what we ask yes. for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or we want the answer to the prayer to be specific to our, our design. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when I hear, when I hear Jesus's invitations, even in previous really clear statements, I want us to be drawn to this idea of the kingdom of God is, is for his people to have full confidence in the king. That it is, it is a place that we can have full confidence that the will of God is for us to have the desires of our heart that come in alignment yeah. with his will. And uh, a process like ask, seek, knock almost seems a little bit contradictory to like, you're just going to get what you want. Yeah. Right. Because like knocking is not, uh, you don't knock once like a, a single tap yeah. and then the door gets open. <laughs> right. There's a little bit of like a perseverance to it. You knock, knock on the door a couple times. So I, I hear something like ask, seek, knock, like come into relationship with me. Know that I hear you, but there is an element of perseverance in this life that we need to then engage in and yeah. we will be heard yeah. and we will we'll find relationship with him. Yeah. So before the podcast, I was doing a bit of reading as I do. Um, Michael J. Wilkins is a professor, biblical studies professor. And this is what he had to say. He's like, ask, seek and knock all indicate a holy pursuit of the father and his will. Mm. I would say in that context, the prayer isn't answered because it doesn't align with his will that is being pursued. And yeah. I thought that was really interesting because I don't know if yeah. we actually touched on that in our prayer podcast, yeah. but it's like there is an assumption that Jesus is making when he says, ask, seek, and knock. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the holy pursuit of the Father and his will, yeah. Yeah. which is, uh, I thought, really interesting. Yeah, it's in, which, in alignment with the Lord's Prayer. And it's exactly. made clear in what he says directly after yes. ask, seek, knock, which is he... he again represents the father's nature right he says mm-hmm. which of you mm-hmm. reading it here which of you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or for a fish will give him a snake so if that's who the father is then that's who we have to come to because if we don't come to that father then we're coming to some other god that we've made up in our minds and then you're not asking god you're asking an Your, idol yourself yeah or <laughs> yourself or something yeah. Um, yeah. but i think it's just an important thing to clarify because i i feel like a lot of people take this statement ask seek knock yeah. and they just run with it yeah. And yeah they're like they don't consider the fact that there is an assumption mm-hmm. that you're pursuing god and his will yeah, yeah. which i think is uh, quite important yeah. Yeah. yeah and i think the, the question that can sometimes come out of that how do i know god's will mm. and to, to simplify as much as we can for ourselves in the process of a big statement like how do i how do I find myself in alignment with the will of God? feels very theological, very, very grand. Yeah. 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 How do you know what the will of someone is in your life that you love? Well, you, you've spent time with them. There's a relationship that's there. Yeah. You've heard their words. You've seen their life. And then you've come to know. It's like an assumption with, with my wife is uh, when, when something is off with Adriana, uh, I am probably the person most well suited yeah. to be able to recognize it and how to speak to it as well. Yeah. 
Hmm. because there's relationship that's there. I know what's going on. I know what's present. And I think the same can be said to discovering and coming in alignment with the will of God. When we're in relationship, we have eyes to see and ears to hear the same things that God is seeing and doing and responding to in the Hmm. world. And when we do so, Jesus is saying, ask, seek, Hmm. knock. You're on the right track. My will be done. My kingdom come. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to happen. Mm. And I, I want you to discover that in relationship with me. Yeah. So I think that's a, a big piece of something like ask, seek, knock, and the, the imperative nature of it, the present nature of it, but also just the assurance that we find in a statement like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think every time a conversation like this is, is had, it needs to be said that when you come to the Lord in prayer, come as you are yes do not attempt to put on uh, a holier perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, because then you are no longer the person coming to god it's some version of yourself that is detached and and um and then you can't have an authentic experience with the lord yeah um yeah yeah prayer where pray where you're at something we talked about yeah uh you've got this great quote here Steve from N.T. Wright, where he says, but for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we're not eager enough to ask for the right things. Mm. Yeah, here's a good one, eh? Yeah, well, <laughs> love me some N.T. Wright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, we could probably move on to one of the things that I was interested to discuss something that I often struggle with when reading through Jesus words is just the harshness, Mm. like statements that he makes that just, it it just, it makes it, it makes it seem completely unrealistic Mm. and, uh, kind of (laughs) rude. Like, like Jesus, you should know me better. You should know humanity better (laughs) than than you seem to in these words. So like, for instance, in the, um, let's take the adultery passage, uh, for instance, this is chapter five, verse 27, but specifically, uh, 20, starting in 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. (laughs) It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Um, so I mean, like, where do you start? First, he's telling you to maim yourself <laughs> potentially <laughs> yeah. we'll discuss yeah, yeah. but at face value that's what he's sure, saying sure. Uh, because if you don't you're going to hell like yeah. is there not a better way to, to say this is there not a better way to phrase yeah. what he wants to communicate yeah um, yeah go ahead it's a little Jason. bit of uh, it's like a little bit of the conflict of uh, ancient Near East language with our Western sensibilities yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we uh, be nice Jesus we uh, yeah. <laughs> we can be a little sensitive I think sometimes uh, and rather than hearing the, the words of Jesus as he's intending to speak it we hear the words as we have maybe heard it said to us. Sure, yeah. That perhaps we say things nicer, Yeah. but I think the intentions are often harsher. Yeah. That we are quicker to cut people out of our life. We're quicker to be more harsh. We're quicker to, to be more violent in the way that we 
expedite justice upon mm. that which we believe is wrong. Wow. Um, rather than hearing the words of Jesus that wants us individually and corporately to find healing and restoration and to, to be protected from the ways in which the actions of our life can call, cause deep personal and communal harm. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the harshness is a tactic used by Jesus in a lot of his language, not, not just in the sense of to provoke um, larger response, but also just to recognize that that's language that would have been familiar to the audience. Mm-hmm. They would have been familiar with that kind of example and the way that it would have represented to them of the nature of cutting off uh, a body part for <laughs> reconciliation uh, or for healing is, is not to that degree. No. Um, it, was a, it was a manner of, a manner of speech in which they were using. But the thing that we can take from that is that Jesus recognizes that when sin enters our hearts and our lives, it is not isolated to one place. No. It, it unfortunately infiltrates every area of, of our being. So I think that there's a, the purpose of maybe the harsh language, sometimes we can confuse it with our Western sensibilities, not understanding ancient Near, Near East examples or metaphors mm. or sayings. We can confuse that. Yeah. But also it's a tactic that Jesus uses in his language to capture the mind of the listener or the reader and then draw them into a conversation of relationship and of hearing grace even communicated in that. There's something better for you. Yeah. Um, this is actually the way that you would do it. Yeah. Let me show you the way in which I would want you to do it. I would also say that a lot of it is deliberate exaggeration mm-hmm. to emphasize the seriousness yeah. of what's at stake. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I said, I don't think Jesus is actually saying, you know, self-mutilate. But he does want you to grasp the the seriousness of the consequence if you don't um, take what he's saying seriously. Yeah, I, I I would agree that he's not condoning self mutilation, <laughs> but I do think there that there is something in this of like you need to recognize that what you do in the body, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like putting an end to that, yeah, is is more important because because like. Because what happens in the spirit, what happens in the heart is, is the ultimate reality. So if you have to remove a body part to protect your spiritual reality, it's <laughs> worth it. Like yeah. that is kind of what he's saying. He, he's, communi- he is, he's communicating gravity. Exactly. Yeah. Though yeah. he is not condoning self-mutilation. We yeah. can be clear on that. We can be clear on that. <laughs> Very clear. <laughs> but it, if I can just emphasize something that you said, Jason, um, this idea of like how we hear what we read Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and we can so quickly overlay and project um our expectation of of the way jesus might be saying this yeah and so if if you have uh if you have a perspective of god that's like he's just angry all the time yeah then you're gonna hear that as very angry and very like judgmental and harsh Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and you know fire and brimstone sort of preaching Mm -hmm. um I had an experience once in, in an acting class, I was asked to read a passage of scripture and I chose, um, I can't remember if it's, I think it's Job 38, okay. where God responds, right? Yeah. The very beginning yeah. of, of where he responds. And they had me read it a bunch of different times and I kept reading it as like loud and forceful, right? Because he <laughs> says, who are you, oh man, to speak back to God or, or something like, no, that's what Paul says. But it's like, like, 
who is this who darkens my counsel yes. with words without wisdom, words, words without knowledge? And then he's like, let me tell you, you know, where were you at the foundation of the world, right? All, all this stuff. And Feels you can read and it booming. as like, God yeah. is like, excuse me, yeah, how dare you? Yeah. Um, but they just kept pushing and pushing me to keep reading it. And I finally landed on, um, I just found myself choosing to read it with compassion mm. and, and with a desire to embrace this, mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, God embracing Job yeah. and, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I had people in tears. <laughs> <laughs> horn tooted. But the point is, is that like when, when we make that choice, to see God as he has truly represented himself mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. sending Jesus to the cross, it, it can make words like this aren't as big of a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we really can hear this with, with a, a tone and a heart of love yeah. um, and wanting the best for us. And it's like theologically for us as a church, we, we wholeheartedly hold to the position over and over again that the image of the father, the image of who God is, is most clearly seen through Jesus. Yeah. And then how we interpret the scripture applied the same. Yeah. Mm. And so the, how we read this th- through the lens of Jesus and not just through these words of Jesus, but how Jesus lived his life and how we approach it through, through that way. Um, one of the things that happens when you see God a certain way, we've talked about these past weeks about worry or treasure. And we've used this language of idolatry or the idols that are born out of our, our treasure or our worry what often happens if we have an interpretation or relationship with God that sees God a certain way that he's not, we often become images of that ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we are, as followers of Jesus, we're desiring to become like Jesus. Yes. That is a desire that we have. Simultaneously, when we're following another way, even if it isn't something intentional, we start to become like that. Yeah. So you mentioned like, if we see God as angry, Unfortunately, I feel like we become angry people when we see yeah. God like that. We feel, when we feel like God is uh, seeking, seeking retribution for action all the time, well, we become vengeful yeah. in how we treat people. When we feel like God is, is, is soft and muddy, uh, we, we don't engage in things. We become yeah. apathetic and un- unable to actually like, desire compassionately for people to, to see and know who Jesus is or see the world be reconciled in their relationship to him. It's, yeah. it's all the ways that we see God. So to have a, a proper image of, of that is important. So when we hear words of Jesus to bring it back that are harsh, we need to remember who's saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, it's really yeah. good. And then there's healing in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, as we continue along in, uh, Beatitudes, oh, sorry, in the Seven on the Mount, um, we come up to the narrow and wide gates. So mm. this is chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. And um, I remember as a kid, I would read this and I'd be like, why the heck do the, does the gate have to be narrow and the path narrow? <laughs> that's so inconvenient. Like, that's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, anyway, you grow, you mature and you start to realize why. But it's still, the question still remains like, why does it have to be narrow? Mm-hmm. And why is the gate narrow? And why is the path narrow? And, um, and I, again, why is this the right choice? Mm, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on Well, if I can just out us for a second. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, while we were prepping for the podcast, you should all know we had an extensive debate specifically about this passage. Yes. yes. It was a lot and of fun. It was a great one. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, like, I don't know if, if I've landed somewhere with it, but what I know and what, where I think our conversations have landed is that the gate is Jesus. Like, let's just make that very simple. The gate is Jesus, which means that mm. uh, the gospel is still true in mm. this passage, mm-hmm. mm. which is simply by faith in Jesus. Yes. You can have all of who God is. Mm-hmm. The whole kingdom has mm-hmm. been given to you uh, upon that word alone, that you mm. put your trust in the one true God yeah. and his son, Jesus Christ. Um, but we were debating about like... Uh, there is this question of like, does the road that he talks about, so what he says here, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. So does that road come before the gate? Do you have to, do you have mm-hmm. to position yourself and work yourself into a place yeah. where now you can have access to who Jesus is? Or does the road come after? So now that you've had a revelation of Christ, you've received him into your life, there's a road to be walked. There's Mm -hmm. a pathway to be walked Mm -hmm. that's filled with life, filled with joy, filled with who he is in increasing measure, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We're going from glory to glory, strength to strength. Um, And I think we landed on it's it's the latter, you know, for us especially. Yeah, that the gate has to come first yeah yeah uh and there is a path on the other side that we're invited to follow um and and discover and, and the narrowness of that path maybe the specificity of of the way and, and the difficulty of the way and all these different ways that we can we can wrestle around the idea but just to recognize first and foremost that idea of the narrow gate being just it is jesus is the way the truth and the life not just according to good teaching according to his words yes mm. he, this is who he claims to be um, and then even for language, like few will find it. Yeah. I, I find for myself that I have a natural response based out of like my Western comfort yeah. to language like this. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, yeah that's yeah. not fair. Yeah. Or, yeah. Why can't we be inclusive? Like, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> why, why can't we just have, have it be good for everyone? Yeah. And, and I think, um, you are actually just being led to hear that it's not the popular choice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. It's not the popular choice. It's, it's not, it's not meant to be condemning. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is, is, is full of grace and truth, not condemnation. Yeah. And so he's telling us with a gracious truthfulness that we need to hear that the choice that you are saying to follow me is not going to be the popular one. Yeah. He's saying it to us now, but remember, he's speaking to his disciples that he knows are going to be persecuted, they're going to be martyred, that they're going to be walking away. That's not going to be the popular choice, most definitely in, in that time and place. Let's remember, uh, the world that we live in now was not the world that was around when Jesus first began his ministry, where we might feel like Christianity at the, at the worst in the Western realities that we find ourselves is uh, ignored. Mm-hmm. At, <laughs> that, it was not ignored when it came to the early church. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was persecuted. It was hated upon. It was, it was rejected. Yeah. Um, 
And so to, to make a statement like this, it's not gonna be the popular way. It's just truthful. Yeah. Not condemning. It's not meant to push the other people away. It's meant to say to those that are following this way, remember, when it gets hard, I said that it's not gonna be popular. But it's through the gate that you've come, through my way. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, I think this is a place where we may still disagree even after our debate, which is just that, that one little line where he says at the end of verse 14, and only if you find it, what you were just talking about. Um, for me, I think that was for the Jewish audience. Right. I think that was for an and audience that is, a, that is for sure a perspective that exists. Who lived under yeah. the law. Yeah. And if you want to come to this narrow gate mm-hmm. by observing the law, you need to know only a few <laughs> will find that. It's a very, very yeah. difficult thing to yeah. do. And you're naming people like um, Enoch, like Enoch and Elijah, that, people who've passed from, who skipped death, right? Yeah, who, yeah. Who, like few might be a generous word in yeah. that kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, or someone like, like Moses three. who, yeah. you know, <laughs> at the age of 120, exactly, the body of a young exactly. man, right? Like yeah. who experienced the sure. life and fullness of, of, a, of a new kingdom, of a new era, um, through observing the law, through, um, through walking with God in, in, in that way. Mm. Um, for us, thank, thank God thank for goodness. Jesus Christ that it is by faith through yeah. grace. That the gate is, is Jesus and grace that meets us and finds us and rescues us from our, from our sin and invites us into the freedom that he has. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a quote here from, uh, Dale Brunner. He, um, bit tongue-in-cheek and it says everybody does it will not be a very helpful for criterion in christian ethics and i'm <laughs> yeah, like tongue-in-cheek yo that, that is, <laughs> he's not wrong i like it <laughs> it's true um, <laughs> but then he also goes on to say um there is no need to fool ourselves by saying that jesus's ethic is not difficult jesus sermon on the mount requires red blood and moral mm-hmm. investment it is a tough way the successism of both uh, secularity and super spirituality lacks the moral fiber and intellectual meaning found in life lived in obedience to Jesus's demands. Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically just communicating that there's a high call and the narrow, the road is narrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, we're guilty of always trying to widen the gate. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. That's what we, that's what we do. In justifying our experiences exactly exactly well i want to make i want to include um more more avenues and and there are many ways that you can live out a life yep. that follows jesus that can yeah. be here in your local church serving faithfully loving on your family being a light in your job in your workplace yep. it can be going in the mission field and going in a dramatically different culture and context into a place where you are sharing the good news of jesus evangelistically or it is your mission field is your family hmm. uh, and you're deeply committed because your family doesn't know jesus there's so many different ways in the, how you can live out a life that follows jesus but to keep that gate uh, focused on the way the truth and life that is jesus yeah. as our original entry yeah. is so vital um, things like moral therapeutic deism is like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to make it so that I live a good life and therefore I have entry. Mm-hmm. It's just like, Jesus is, is not saying that he's saying that you can't do that. In fact, yeah. there's, it's just an impossibility to do it in perfection. Yeah. I like how you mentioned that we try to widen the gate and it's, yeah. I can't remember who wrote it. It may be Andrew Sullivan, um, but he wrote a paper and he was talking about how 
we as Christians are so like we struggle and we try so hard to make Christianity appealing to the world Mm -hmm. when in reality it is our faith that should be challenging the world and making them consider Mm -hmm. am I living the right life and like we do everything in our power to be like more appealing to them oh hey come to church like we do fun things or like yeah we're easy going we're flexible and it's like no like that is not the life that Jesus has called for his disciples and it's just yeah it's it's a good reminder that the gate is narrow yeah. and that we have to understand that and that we have to understand that the road is also narrow and we need to walk it well and invite people to walk it as well yeah, yeah. and for them to walk it well and we have a unique opportunity in this time and era i think because there has been christian principles that have found its way into the foundation of some of the ways that we think in western culture yeah mm. We, the, the kingdom of God has most certainly broken into our world and begun a, a change, even if it is subtly. Yeah. It has taken place. I, I read a preaching book by Tim Keller back in the day, and one of the things that he talks about is that the gospel at a baseline is offensive. It's saying that you, yeah. you can't do it on your own. It's yes. the exact opposite <laughs> of, of what we tell uh, each other in our Western world. Yeah. We tell each other, oh, you think hard enough, you work hard enough, you grind, you put some grit to it, you're going to mm. do it. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, like, all of that will be great, but it's not going to actually provide the salvation that your soul longs for. No. So it's going to be offensive. It is yeah. offensive. When you tell someone you can't do it, you feel offended. Yeah. Yeah, so I when, feel offended. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. odd. Like, and so, so when you preach, you're yeah. actually, initially, you are trying to find some common ground. We want the world to be a better place. Yeah. There are injustices and brokenness. Mm. We want our families to thrive. We want to see healing in broken places. We want all these things, but you can't do it on your own. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I think we see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, I mean, that's a, in a little bit of, a little, little, little ways that's a callback to the beatitudes and mm-hmm. that like yes. um you can just you can just see it in the church yeah. like the uh the people who know that they can't do it on their own mm-hmm. accept the gospel with gladness <laughs> it comes really easily to mm-hmm. them right mm-hmm. people who have have really struggled in their life with addictions and, yeah. and mental health issues it's like no i know i can't do it so thank god that there's somebody yeah. who did it for me yeah. Um, and then people who have found a lot of success in just being confident in themselves and just being able to use the natural gifts that they have to produce the life they wanted, the gospel, uh, sometimes it's a struggle for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always, there's always a part of us. There's always, then that's the power of the gospels. There's always a part of somebody when, when we can see them, when we can see, uh, who they are and, and the heart that they have, we can speak directly to it and, and the gospel can still have power for all people. But I think that's a good segue because yeah. if we're talking about the different ways in which, uh, we might be led to receive the gospel or to live mm. it out. Yeah. There's, there's lots of different churches out there. Yeah. There's lots of different ways in which, uh, the words of Jesus have been represented yeah. or taught. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Jesus cares deeply about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you have a thought on this one, Steve? About, um, if we move on to true Matthew and, 7, 21. Yeah. Uh, true and false disciples. Um, yeah, so I was just, again, reading up, doing a bit of reading as I do. And um, I think uh, a very valid question is um, what makes them false? Like what makes a disciple false and how does a person end up on the path that is considered false? 
Because yeah. I think that's important. I think, at least for me anyway, I'm the type of person who likes to know the boundaries and like sort of have bumpers mm. to steer me back in. Sure. Yeah. So like when you're going bowling or something, it's like, I need some, I, it's helpful for me to see something and to understand something and know like, oh wait, no, I'm going out of bounds type of thing and sort of help me, give me a warning and direct me back onto the path. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I guess my question is what makes them false and how do we end up on that path? Yeah. Could, before maybe we, we address it, could you read the, the scripture? Yeah, we've got chapter seven, starting in verse 15. Um, which is, it starts out in talking about false prophets. So watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he explains that a little bit more. Um, And then he goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. It's another good example of some harsh language. Harsh language, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I hear that final sentiment of, Lord, Lord, did you not see the things that I've done? Yeah. Mm. And, And I can, I can grieve that as well like i've tried really hard yeah yeah don't you see how how much i wanted to get it right yeah but simultaneously i know that when i am trying to do things by my own strength i'm often doing it for my own benefit that even the right thing can be done for the wrong reasons yeah and even hearing the words of, oh, didn't you hear me prophesy? Or didn't you hear see that I prophesied or, or cast out demons? Like this was significant things that I did. It's almost like those words are saying, uh, this is the way that I thought it meant to be a disciple. Yeah. Mm. I think of the parable of the uh, prodigal son and the older brother. Yes. Represented in that parable. Yeah. Who worked so hard for his dad for so long yeah. and then his wayward brother shows up and they throw a party and he's like come on like yeah. you never even gave me a goat mm-hmm. and his father's response was everything I have is already yours mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. didn't to me that's always been a representation of like you didn't even need to ask like he was already yours if you wanted to have a party you could have had a party but that's the way you saw me mm-hmm. you saw me as a taskmaster as as yeah. a I guess a harsh father who just wanted you to work hard for me. Right? Uh, it's a picture again that the God that you see is the God you become. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was a, ta- he saw his father as a taskmaster and he became one. Yeah. And I think even within the discipleship aspect of it, the true and false disciples is you're, you're, you're worshiping a false representation yeah. of who God is. And it becomes about the things that you do rather than the identity that we find. Yeah. Uh, so to even hear words like prophesy and casting out demons, let's be clear, those things are not bad. No. This is not a, a passage meant to identify, don't do these things, otherwise yeah. you will be a false disciple. This is not what it's trying to do. Yeah. It's trying to show us that, again, it's finding the will of God, it's finding the heart of God, it's pursuing the way of Jesus in how we live, but being led by Jesus, not by our way. It's, it's the gate before the path. Yeah. It's making sure that that's where we're entering in first. It makes me think about um, 
1 Corinthians 13, where Paul lists all of these wondrous things, right? If I fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, mm. I'm mm. nothing. Mm-hmm. It amounts to nothing. Yeah. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's, he's presenting these very massive like things that, mm. that the Jews at the time would have been like, yeah, if I'm doing that stuff, like I'm in, I must be, you know, Surely. like Elijah, yeah. like, like the prophets of old. And he's saying, you can do all this stuff and it be of no value to you. Maybe God will make use of it in the world for the kingdom, but for you, no eternal value. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's quite interesting that, um, Jesus throughout his entire sermon never emphasizes the external acts and behavior being the highest sign of authenticity. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I feel as though, and it's sort of like the, what the Pharisees would do. It's like their external appearance was their sense of authenticity of their yeah. relationship with God, which was not true. Um, hence Jesus. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, but he, uh, Jesus demands an inward allegiance to God's will. Mm. And I, yeah. and it's just interesting to see that played out in this scenario. And it's like, they, they assumed based on their Jewish context that these deeds are a sign of authenticity. But for Jesus, he's saying, no, it's your inward allegiance to mm-hmm. God and mm-hmm. his will. And, um, and so I think for me, I think most people start, you know, their journey with God fairly authentic. And I think over time, maybe their heart goes wayward or they become, yeah, they just deviate. And um, I found this quote by Cyril of Alexandria. Throwing the old school. Yeah, yeah. Man's gone way back. Uh, He says, There may be some who, in the beginning, believe rightly and are studiously labored at virtue. They may have even worked miracles and prophesied and cast out demons. And yet later, they are found turning aside to evil, to self-assertive deception and desire. Of these, Jesus remarks that he never knew them. And I think, I remember I was like reading this the other night and I was like, that's heavy because mm. there is the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I don't know, to my mind, I was like, oh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you have to always come back to God and self-reflect and assess your heart. And if you find yourself out of alignment with God's will and your pursuit of God, realign. And I yeah. think that's so why it's why it's so important to, always be in communication with God to be in community to have into some intimacy of relationship with the father because yeah. he'll he'll point that out he's not shy <laughs> he's yeah, like yeah. well actually you know you, you're slipping up a bit come back to me mm-hmm. um, so I, I find for like so many people whether it's in our church or just that I know are followers of Jesus that a passage like this can unintentionally provoke some fear yeah Oh shoot, I hope I'm not a false disciple. Yeah. Or I I hope I don't commit the unforgivable sin. Or mm. and we we look at all these different ways in which somehow our salvation could be taken from us. Yeah. And and it's it's very much like a, a world-driven fear. We live in a place where it feels like everything is one decision, one catastrophe, one moment away from being taken away, and we allocate that that thinking to our relationship with God. 
But I would say when we're looking at something like this false discipleship and you're like, well, I wonder, am I doing the wrong things? If you're asking the question, am I doing the wrong things? You're probably got the right heart. Yep. Mm. So let me say that again. If you're wondering if you're doing the wrong things, you probably have the right heart. And the heart is what God is looking at. And so when he, when he sees the things that you're trying, even if you fail and even if you're not even hitting any of the markers that you're going for, but your heart is pursuing his way, his will, uh, know that he sees you and he says, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That there is no rejection of who you are as a disciple. And if you're unsure, just ask your heart. Yeah. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Jesus, renew and meet me and know that there's incredible grace that we find in that over and over again. Not meant yeah, to provoke fear. E- even if the mistake is in the motive itself. Yeah. Yeah. E- even if you find within your heart, oh, I'm doing it for, you know, to please God or to, to attain yeah. to righteousness. That's fine. Just relax and come back to Jesus. Grace again. And, yeah, grace again. What a gift yeah. we've been given. Yeah. Even when our motives are off. Mm. And I, I think it's sometimes the the false disciple comes about by poor foundations, mm-hmm. this, which is also what Jesus addresses in verses 24 to 29. It's like yeah. the wise and foolish builders. Yeah. What are you like founding your life on? Um, so I'm going to quickly read the passage and I reckon we should uh, wrap up on that. Sounds yep. great. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I am too. I am amazed. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think um, I think a good place to sort of wrap up is how can we be wise builders? Mm. And I and I'm saying as someone, saying that as someone who's been a Christian for a majority of their life, and I I don't think it's ever too late to fix your foundation mm. and to shift things when things need to be shifted, remove yep. things yep. where things need to be taken out and replaced with uh, proper understanding of God and who he is and that sort of thing. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, how can we be wise builders? I, I hear this passage and I feel like it's Sunday school worthy. It shows up often mm. where you build in your house. Uh, and I remember someone saying to me one time, uh, Jesus doesn't want you to have a beach house. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's pretty nice. Like, <laughs> beach houses are nice. Such a and, disappointment. And, and what he was saying, he's like, uh, the purpose of your life is not for your comfort. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes the, the places that we build uh, our lives for the purposes of comfort are built on sand. Mm. And uh, it might look like the most incredible thing that we might always wanted, but it's upon the foundations of our personal materialism, on our uh, individual ambition, on the the fabrications of I've adopted that this is the most way, most clear way of success. 
mm. within my within the purview of my life. And so uh, I hear this and I then look at where it's placed. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. It, it is meant to, to bookend all that has been spoken from Jesus, where he's provided these words to be the foundation for our life. Mm. And, he's, and he said, this is the foundation I want for you to build your life upon. And I want it to be a revelation of, of me. Yeah. <laughs> All these different ways that he's talked to us, anger, lust, divorce, uh, building, uh, being a wise builder, but being a, a true disciple, all these different things, the Beatitudes. It's all a representation of who Jesus is. It all speaks to his way. And their words for it to be the foundation for our life. So how can I be a wise builder? I, I think it, it begins with a revelation of who Jesus is and an adherence to his words and his way in all that we do. And it's, that's, a, that's a very simple statement to a very difficult <laughs> path. Yeah. yeah. But I, in, some, in some ways, I think it needs to start with simplicity. Don't do everything before you do the first thing. Yeah. Hmm. That's true. Place your trust in Jesus. Yeah. Because you're going to need him every step of the way. I know I do. Yeah. Yeah. And James illustrates in, in his letter um, that when you hear the word, the word, the living word come from God, it's like you're placed in front of a mirror and you see yourself, who you truly are represented in it. And if you do not do what the word says of you, if you do not respond to the reception of it, then you're like somebody who turns away from that mirror and immediately forgets what you look like. Mm. So there's a call to remain in the vision of, of what the word has given us. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. really good. I am. Um, so my, I'm a geotechnical engineer. So this is a very <laughs> profound, uh, uh, it's a metaphor for you. Yeah. Oh, specifically for me. Um, and I just, it, cause often, you know, out in the world in geology and whatnot, you often find soil above bedrock. And, uh, it's interesting how Jesus says, go deeper. Mm. Don't found your things on, on what's superficial at mm. the surface. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's so easy to do in today's day and age especially with like upward mobility, careerism, aesthetic, appearance, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And it's like, are those things important? Sure, some might say so. Some people don't care, but it's all highly superficial and it's what we pursued most in life. Yeah. And it's um, Jesus simply saying, like, sure, they can matter if you want them to, but at a very baseline, you need to found your life on me, pursue me, pursue the Father's will, and pursue intimacy and so I think it's I think it's great it's yeah. great words by Jesus the best sermon ever preached yep tis true well um, thanks for being with us Pastor Jason and for everyone who's listening thanks for tuning in and um, yeah taking in this this extra kind of conversation about the Sermon on the Mount and um yeah, it's been a blessing to hang out and chat about it with you guys. And um, our prayer, the three of us, and 
for you, the church at large, is that these words, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' uh, teachings here, um, would thrust you into a deeper revelation of who he is and, um, and who you are in light of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Catch you all on Sunday.